Hi, you're listening to Nine to Thrive, a podcast about creating a life that doesn't suck. My name is Janet McKenna-Lowry, and every week I talk with someone about balancing work, creativity, and community. This week I'll be talking with Linda McInerney, Artistic Director of Eggtooth Productions, a theater company in Massachusetts that's brought its work as far afield as the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, among other places. We're going to talk about how to make time for yourself when you're busy, how to find something manageable to feed you, how nobody's stopping you but you, theater, the meaning of life, and how important it is to find people to play with. Welcome to episode one. Janet and I am with Linda McInerney and we're going to talk a little bit about what she does and how she got there. Hi Linda. Hello Janet. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks. I'm glad you could I'm glad you could meet with me. This is great. I'm so happy to do so. So, yeah, so really just sort of unpacking the concept of work and balancing it with life, um, you know, what you do creatively, what you do um, with you know, the 16 hours you have in a day uh, to make it so that it's fulfilling and meaningful. And uh, so why don't you just give me a little um, thumbnail of um, what you do for work. And then I I know what you do for play, but I'd love for you to say it. <laughs> well, I, I am one of these people that needs a day job to um, uh, uh, take care of uh, my passion. Uh, and my day job is teaching at a middle school uh, called Eaglebrook School uh, in Deerfield, Massachusetts. And I've been there for about 20 years. Uh, I really love working there and I love teaching. Um, and, and my passion is running a theater company called Egg Tooth Productions, which started out being uh, a kind of uh, theater production company like you would think. Uh, I was the artistic director and we were would put up shows uh, that are written on pieces of paper uh, by famous playwrights dead and alive and uh, uh, would put them forward in the best way we knew how uh, with me directing most of them, not all of them, but most of them and uh, trying to find uh, plays that wrapped around important ideas of the moment uh, so that we would have a jumping off point for discussion. Uh, but that all changed a few years ago uh, in 2011 um, when uh, I lost my space. I was uh, renting a space in a private school nearby, and uh, they were renovating the space. And so I needed to leave, and it was the first time being out of that space for many I think it was maybe like 15 years. It was a long time. And it made me rethink everything, which is something that I love when – you know, you get thrown a sort of a pie in the face. You kind of try looking what hit the side of your face rather than being annoyed about having the pie hit. And uh, the, the delicious flavor of the pie was that I, <laughs> I, I, I began to think, well, why do I feel like I need to make theater in a theater? Why don't I look around at the spaces that are all around? And that got me to thinking about sort of guerrilla theater and out-of-the-box theater and um, I started creating festivals uh, with lots of people included, yourself uh, as one of them. And, uh, and that seemed like a much more interesting way to spend time. And it kind of allowed me to fire on more cylinders than I had been as a director and an artistic director. Mm -hmm. And that was exciting for me. And then what happened is I, uh, I thought the, the festivals became 
a pretty, I won't say easy, but, you know, a, a pretty comfortable way to create. And I thought, well, how can I shake that up to make it uh, more impactful? And had the idea, and you may have been a part of that conversation to make that happen uh, in, in the room when we all collectively decided uh, with the board of directors that it would be really interesting to create a festival upon a theme. Right. And what we did was to create on the theme of um, climate change. And then that was where it all took off. So now I would say what my passion is, it's quite different. Now my passion is creating opportunities for creators of all kinds, not just theater artists, but installation artists, dancers, visual artists, all kinds of artists to create uh, on a commissioned basis, uh, something again, based on a theme uh, that uh, excites them and allows a participant slash audience member to experience mm. a, a, a creativity and art in a way that um, affects them in a more visceral way. So there versus, we go. Versus, say, just sitting in a seat or, you know, um, exactly. passively. Is that that's what you're... That's, that's exactly it. Rather than a butt in a seat, it's more like what what will how how can my experience how can i be astonished experientially um in some kind of way yeah so not that i have anything against a butt in a seat right. I, my butt is very happy in a seat um <laughs> and and actually i do direct shows from time to time but this i find this a much more engaging uh way of creating now the thing that i was i sort of noted down when you were talking was using the word passions plural that's nice. What? Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Like, why, uh, what? What? I don't think of it as a singular passion. Um, and as a matter of fact, I probably um, should try and come up with a, a word that I can't even think of because I love entering into the unknown uh, in a creative way. So, um, and uh, the thing that I love about this commissioning of Many times they're young artists, too, by the way. A lot of times they're in their 20s and 30s um, and, and hearing their ideas. So what, what I like doing is linking my passionate heart with other passionate hearts. Mm. And so that's kind of where the plurality comes in. Uh, I, I like to learn about new ways of approaching things uh, or other people's points of view. And so it gets to be this collective uh, passion in a lot of, in a lot of different ways and hopefully in ways that uh, I can't predict. Mm, mm. Um, I've got little notes here. Um, and you teach theater when you teach during the year, is that right? I teach during the winter term. So for a little over three months, I teach uh, middle schoolers. And the and the way the approach that I've been uh, using for that uh, in the last couple of years, I try and change that up quite frequently. But what I've been doing recently is having uh, my classes be entirely student driven. So the kids in we, we create a devised theater piece. And really, all I do is try to rein it and not rein it in that's not really right but try and focus it mm. in a way that it can turn into an event uh and and i just really encourage them to let their wildest imaginations go and their wildest physical imaginations go so we invent all kinds of things um and the only law is that it has to be performed before the end of the term 
and uh, and and actually, the, actually, I have more rules than that. My my major rules are: you will uh, be loving, respectful, and kind to your fellow mm. uh, fellow performers, and that you will show up. Essentially, oh, yeah. those are. Yeah, you will, you will be present in every way and try something new. And if an idea comes up, you won't poo-poo it. You'll jump in and give it a shot. Um, so that's, yeah, so that's what I've been doing for the last few years. And it's been really fun. So does that come out almost like improv? It does. It, can, it You know, it really depends on the group of kids. I usually have about 10 or 12 kids. And uh, I ask them to talk to me about what they care about, what they're passionate about. I use that word. And then uh, sometimes I have them do story circle uh, where they tell about something that has happened to them of meaning. We all sit in a circle and each person has three minutes to tell their story. And then the next person who is to your right tells a story that the previous story made them think of. Mm. And a lot of times we get fodder uh, and, and ideas from that if we're trying to get the kids going on something. Um, yeah, it, and it is, it's improv. But that, that said, though, a lot of times we write a script. Uh, a lot of times we uh, create art projects. I mean, it really depends on the, like I say, it's student-driven. Yeah. So it really depends on what the kids have in their imagination at that time. Oh, that's very cool. I like it. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a huge amount of fun. <laughs> It's really, it really does. You can only imagine what the what the minds of middle schoolers come up with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, I don't know. I'm remembering when the when my kids did uh, Shakespeare camp and they had the write your own yeah. write your own Shakespeare plays. <laughs> right, so fun, so fun. Um, yeah, and really, my whole point is to allow these kids to keep in contact with their imagination mm -hmm. so that it doesn't get squashed because that's that magic moment where, you know, so much gets lost. Right, right. Middle school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was thinking about when you were talking just briefly was um, something, a concept that I've heard really recently, which is this sort of stage of creation where you try to move away from by me to through me. And it sounds like that's yeah. something. Yes, I've never heard it spoken in that way, but I think I know what you're talking about. Um, I think of it as a, a being a conduit yeah. for creativity, uh, and that serves a bunch of different purposes. As a matter of fact, when I was working on uh, The Captivation of Eunice Williams, one of the panelists uh, uh, had studied um, and was a Native American uh, from Alaska and had used this beautiful phrase that he got from the Lakota people. He was not Lakota, but he had studied with them. And uh, he said it is to be as a, a hollow bone so that all of the creativity can flow through you with nothing getting in the way. And I think of that, too, as a uh, sort of a checking your ego at the door so that the idea uh, that around which the team is creating is the is the point and one of the ways to actually get to that is to write a mission collectively uh, like what is the mission of this project what what are we what are we seeking to attain uh, what's the goal I mean without saying you know without prescribing what it actually is what 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 is the mission of the piece and then when people sort of say, hey, I have an idea and I like my idea because I'm me and I want you to listen to me. I mean, those kinds of conversations just sort of get washed away because since you're working toward a mission, your job as a creator is to be the vehicle through which 
the collective ideas can go. And and the thing that's so exciting about that and the reason that people are, are so great about uh, sort of buying into that as an idea is that the collective ideas are always much more exciting mm-hmm. and more astonishing than anything any one person could sort of fight for, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's actually, that almost answers what I was going to ask you about, which is, um, you know, I guess first, how did you deal? How do you deal with your own fear? But then how do you deal with the fears of others in that process? Yeah, that's good. Um, fear is such a big one. And I have to say that that has been a real focus of my own uh, evolution as a human being for a while. And um, I'm turning 60 this year. And I I think I can um, say with honesty that um, I'm not too afraid of too much anymore, um, having been through all the terror of fear of failure, fear of not fear of not being enough, you know, all of those anxieties. Um, and actually, you'll know this, uh, uh, Janet, because it's the uh, project we met on, is that mm-hmm. I was forced into really facing all of those terrors with the captivation of Eunice Williams, oh. which was an opera that, um, that uh, I commissioned and received a big grant for uh, from a friend uh, who, who is a trustee on the on a foundation. And he believed in the work and gave uh, me and the company this money. And I, you know, confessed to him day one that I was scared. I didn't know about creating an opera. I didn't know what I was doing. And he was so amazing in that he just had absolute faith and said, you know, if you're doing it the way it's been done, you're doing it wrong. And, uh, his other great quote was, uh, you say you're bushwhacking, Linda, we're all bushwhacking. So what I did was I spent a lot of energy on making sure I didn't get in the way of screwing up this incredible opportunity of having a grant to make this opera about this beautiful story of little Eunice Williams. And so every time I got scared, I either called Nick or, you know, had a conversation with myself and I worked really hard on not being fearful. And I have to say through that process, because it was so wonderfully terrifying, I really did have to have to get beyond that because there was so much to do, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of decisions that had to be made every minute and uh, so much on the line. And, uh, and I really, I sort of beat it out of myself. And that said, um, in our business, in the theater business and in the uh, business of performing, it's a terrifying business. So I work almost every day with people who are frightened to death. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, it's the deal. I mean, it is. As, as you know, you know, the f- stage fright is, uh, is a bigger fear than fear of death. <laughs> I think it, stage fright comes in number one. <laughs> yeah, and public speaking. Number yeah. two is death, right? Public speaking. <laughs> yeah, that's it, the public speaking thing. So, so I kind of deal with terror on an ongoing basis. And I've gotten to be pretty good friends with terror. And I have a lot of ways that I work with um, my companions in that. And, uh, you know, from saying little things like, you know, right now, this fear feels like a saber toothed tiger, but by the time we're done, it's going to be more like a cockapoo at ankle, you know, (laughs) so the fear never really goes away. But what we try and do is put it in its place and diminish it so that it doesn't because we're actually not being chased by saber-toothed right. tigers, these stories. Right. I forgot to tell you that. Isn't, yeah. it, yeah. isn't it funny what we're being is listened to? Yeah, that's how, right. How that's interesting right. that that is so terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scariest thing ever. Isn't that funny? It really is. Yeah. 
It yeah. is, and I was noticing actually that when you were talking about your own fear, it really came around the money. Almost like you get what you what you want, and then having gotten it, it's terrifying. Oh, then it's like holy shit! I got this thing. I have I have all this money. I have to spend it <laughs> on this beautiful project, and wow. <laughs> No, I feel like hiding under the coffee table. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there is a huge thing around money, Janet, especially for women. You know, that's another real demon we have to wrestle hands on right around the throat. Yeah. You know, and, and a, a phrase that I've given to myself over time uh, is that money is a tool as opposed to an object that has uh, either good nor bad. But thinking makes oh, it so. Oh, yes, of course. There you go. It's just a tool and you can use it for good, you can use it for ill, or you can hide it, you know, under your mattress if you want to, but it's what you choose to do with it. So to, so to sort of take away the power of money and, uh, and, and let it just be the construct and, and the sort of piece of paper that it is so that you can go about using it for good and getting out of your own way and quit worrying about if you deserve it or if you're worthy of having it or, you know, any of those, that long list of things we tell ourselves about money. Yeah, it's funny how it gets so wrapped up in almost citizenship, you know, yeah, <laughs> whether yeah, you're absolutely. allowed to be a citizen or not, whether you have it right. or don't have it or want it or don't want it or, um, you know, what you do with it when you get it. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. That piece about budgeting and budget, like the practical piece of, uh, well, mm -hmm. a it's not the but a practical piece of of production um, was that all self taught? Did you have to just kind of? I I did have to bushwhack it, but you know I, what I what I learned though is when you really are stupid at something, all you have to do is ask a smart person, and there are so many smart people. And there's so many people who are so much smarter than you are, and it's so much more fun to be surrounded by them. And really, if all else fails and you are in a cave and you don't have a beloved uh, angel around you that you can ask, there's always YouTube. You, you can find out anything <laughs> you need to find out. You can find out anything you need to find out. So that's what I, I you know, I, I became very humble very quickly. Uh, and um, in a, in a non-fearful way, I would tell people, who knew how to do the thing that I didn't know how to do, I would show them how um, bravely I knew nothing. And, and the generosity of human beings is unbelievable. I mean, that's the real currency. If you want to look at something that changes the world that everyone uh, uh, can benefit from in a very real way, that's, that's the generosity of the human spirit is the real currency. Oh. That's, how, that's how stuff gets done. That's a beautiful, beautiful thought. Have you ever thought about like teaching a YouTube masterclass on production? Oh, uh, I don't know if I know enough to teach a masterclass in anything. Uh, I mean, I'd be, I, I don't, uh, no, I have not thought about that. <laughs> Keeping it out there. I know a filmmaker. <laughs> but, um, but I love talking about these kinds of things. I really do because I have spent a lot of time sort of, again, to use the word bushwhacking, bushwhacking my way into a place that I can feel like I can move forward with, you know, and I think we're all as human beings doing that all the time. So maybe not a masterclass, but maybe a companionship, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a, maybe a Skype and companionship with somebody would be fun. Yeah. Like we're doing, yeah, no, we're, we're doing, doing it. it. Um, have you ever had an, like an abject failure that you had to just walk away from? 
Oh, all the time. And I look forward to falling on my face spectacularly. <laughs> so I'm so glad you brought this up because this is a word, and I use this with my kids all the time. I actually do not believe in the word failure in any way, shape, or form. And, uh, and the reason for that is I think that everything you do is simply teaching you how to get to the next place. Mm. So if you have a spectacular splat, it's so wonderful to look at the splat, see why the splat happened, and as you move forward, you know that that's the thing you don't do. Right. I mean, really, it's all just lessons. I don't even think about failures. I, I mean, I, probably from an outside eye, there would be human beings that say I fail all the time, but I, I, don't, I, I don't think of it that way. I think of uh, living in a, a creative process and trying and doing my best and working hard and trying to learn. So I actually don't use that word. And when my kids bring it up and I say, you will not use that language in my classroom. <laughs> That's nice. I have used, I have heard people try to use it and turn it so that it is more like, you know, failure means to learn or fail fast, fail right. up, fail right. often, those kinds of things. Right. But, um, but I still think it has such a negative connotation to it that I kind of don't even want to use the word until it, and, and like so many words that, you know, that's a shadow word right yeah. now. When it, when it gets to have more possibilities of meaning, I'll, I'll bring it back into my vocabulary. But for now, I just don't even use it. It's all, it's all just the process of, uh, of, of growing and learning and, and, and just the process. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, rem I mm -hmm. remember doing a, a project, try trying to do a project, starting to do a project with you where um, it would be sort of a mini play Cinderella. And I just, I, oh, yeah. I couldn't yeah. get anyone cast. And then the few that I did all got strep throat. And I looked around, the day came, and oh, I said, that's well, that's over. <laughs> well, you know, and you know what, Janet, I would think of that very, very differently. I would think of that as a project that doesn't want to happen now. Yeah. Yeah, that's really what it yeah, felt I like. Think, like I can't force yeah. this. Like, no one's healthy. No. <laughs> yeah. So, so what that means is, for whatever reason, the universe is saying that project is uh, is not wanting to happen. Maybe never, but also maybe just now. Yeah. Maybe it's just this moment that it want, doesn't want to happen. Remember. So, I think the only thing to, that I would be able to get out of that would be to try and think of the why. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not a failure either. That's just like, okay, great. This is excellent information. This Cinderella project doesn't want to happen. Yeah. Now I'd like to determine if it doesn't want to happen now and what the what the ground what what kind of ground uh it would want to happen on, or if not at all, why? Yeah. You know, so so and then you can figure it out from there. Yeah. But the, I remember that project very well. Yeah, that is a project that did not want to yeah, happen. And it was a strange feeling because I didn't feel like it was a failure. I was a little disappointed that it all happened, but mostly it yeah, felt spacey. I was like, well, that's yeah. evaporated. <laughs> yep. yep. And it just means you either move, have to move on to the next thing or readjust it in some kind of way that addresses yeah. why it didn't happen in the first yeah. place. Do, you, you, know? do you find that there's stuff that simply has to get done a couple times before, you know, like a festival? Rather than, mm -hmm. you know, the first year, maybe not, or it needs another year, or it needs another place. Absolutely. Yeah, there are lessons in everything. And sometimes, I mean, and it depends on what it is. Sometimes, like I've done a festival in the wrong location. It was the most beautiful festival. I loved every second of it, but it was in the wrong town, and no one came. Now, and I still don't think of that as a failure, <laughs> even though nobody showed up. 
<laughs> because it was beautiful. And the people who participated, you know, did an amazing job. It's just that that was not the right place to do it. Um, and another thing that um, I find, too, is that um, is I just don't deal with resistance anymore. That was a thing in my younger years that it would be like, oh, if I just could show them how great it is, or I just could do X or Y, um, and I don't do that. If the project is taking on its own life and wanting to happen, and there's a participant or a creator who just is either getting in the way or doesn't really believe in it or whatever that or or I need something to happen and that person is not really connecting to it. I just let it go immediately. Mm -hmm. And again, don't think of it as a failure. Just think of it as like excellent information. I now know that this person is not the right person and just love them and say, thank you so much and wish them the best and move on from there. So another thing that I think a lot of younger uh, creators get in, into, and I only say this because it was me not that long ago, is that you you kind of go, oh, I, I, if I just push a little harder with this person or a little harder with this piece of the idea, um, I, I now just release when there's resistance. And that makes everything much, much easier. And what, what it's an interesting thing there, too, is that when you release from that resistance, for some reason, it seems to open up other doors that you didn't notice before. And so you release that attachment. And then it's like, oh, mm. oh, I can do it with this person or in this way. And then and and and, and it it's it's a much more effortless way of working and and i find that even the really really hard things have a quality of effortless effortlessness to them if the mission of the project itself is something of meaning that uh that again has it has its own mind and wants to happen uh-huh. yeah yeah and have you ever had a thing where the you know, lead actor or whatever, just wasn't able to do it last second. Oh, a million times. Absolutely. Oh, a million times. Do? I can't even count. You know, that, that's another one where I used to have an absolute panic attack and an absolute terror and all of that stuff, thinking that I was never going to be able to make it work. And, you know, even that one, I, uh, I just roll with and just say, okay, I will put it, the word out to the universe. And if this wants to happen, another person will show up. And that, that's how it goes. And if the person comes, great. Uh, I mean, actually, one time it ended up being me, which was really weird and funny. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, there, there's a funny thing that happens when you get past the resist, you know, the, the engaging in resistance. You kind of get to this place of just faith that there's an intelligence greater than your own that will help you if uh, you need help. And, uh, and if not, it will guide you to the next thing that wants to happen. Mm. Uh, and sometimes the project is done. Yeah. Sometimes that, uh, like Cinderella, you know, it's just like, well, that one is <laughs> <Yep>. not happening. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah, I never felt bad. I just sort of watched it pass by going, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> okay. In fact, my thought Apparently was everyone has strep throat. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that was really Everyone funny. Was Everybody miserable. got yeah. exactly. It was oh. actually kind of funny in the sense that it, talk about feeling faded. It it felt a little bit like everyone had, like gotten the plague. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and you know, it's really funny, that whole storefront idea has now taken off several years later. Oh, good. Now, now it happens all the time. Now I've done a bunch of these storefront things. Oh, great. That, um, yeah, they're going great. As a matter of fact, one happened this last winter uh, where there were five windows, I think it was, and I just put the word out with a group email, and they all made their windows. Oh, that's and awesome. It, and it, Everybody was excited and it just, yeah, so there is an effortlessness when the project wants to carry itself out. Well, and, and, yeah, and hilariously, it's a continuum because the reason that idea oh, came up at all was because as we drove away from one of your festivals, one of my daughters said, it's a shame all the storefronts are dark as we drove out of town. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of dovetails into that very nicely. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the lights I on. I mean, I have, I have a version of that myself. It's 30 years ago. I can remember, you know, saying to people, it would be so great if theater could happen in Greenfield. Mm. And just, you know, just in a general way. And um, people would say things like, oh, you know, we used to have theater back in the day, but we'll never get it back unless Greenfield Tap and Die comes oh, back. Right. We need the manufacturing base to come back, which is... It, it was just so funny. Yeah, there used to be money in this town back in, you know, in the early 1900s. It was great. And that's what we need to have happen again. And it was sort of interesting that people were not saying, yes, you know, let's look to art. They were saying, let's recreate the past. I mean, it's almost like a make America great again kind of a thing. It's just like, what What are you even asking for? Well, there's something about that lack of bravery that, that comes up that's really interesting that you're talking about. I remember when... Um... A couple of my kids went to a performing arts high school and they had a award-winning acapella group of eight kids. If okay. you weren't those eight kids, you weren't going to do anything at all, were you? Just it. That's it. And, <laughs> and I remember it. walking around saying, where is the... So somebody thought to create this eight-kid acapella group, and it's terrific, but where's the next eight kid acapella group why aren't there 15 yeah. eight kid uh, yeah. why can there only be one why does it turn into musical chairs which is always a party full of crying children and one gloating yeah. child yeah. And god forbid if the birthday child doesn't make it to the last chair why <laughs> why would you set yourself up for this kind of misery this, this whole uh you know, capitalist competitive thing that is really very clearly not working anymore yeah. and hasn't been working for a very long time. You know, it comes back to that same thing that you and I have talked about is we really have art is so good at this and we have to think of multi-pronged ways at this is to change the story. People are holding on to a story that hasn't been true if it ever was for years. Yeah. 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 Why can't you have 25 acapella groups? And why can't anybody who wants to sing be in one? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And, and instead, I don't know, sort of defeatist sad trombone and walking away to the Charlie Brown theme. And <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I, yeah. but, but I also feel like, I feel like it's really hard to know what you don't no, you know what I mean? It's really hard to like, you and when you see bravery control. and when you see bravery, you then attribute it to someone else being lucky or blessed in ways that you're not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you don't say, Oh, they kind of learned that courage from somewhere and right. Or faked it. Or I mean, there's the other it. one. You don't feel it. 
just I say this to actors all the time and singers all the time. You feel like a coward right now and you're terrified out of your mind. Yep. You do. And now you're going to pretend. <laughs> yeah. Now you're going to pretend you're the bravest person you've ever met in your life. Yeah. And at some point in that pretend, it's going to feel real. And once it starts to feel real, you own it. And then just let that be who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'm just trying to think of all the things, all these people that I've known, and me, of course, for years, you know, just sort of thinking, oh, well, you know, I don't know how to get it started. And I don't, you know, you're right about the internet. The internet helps a lot. But, um, yep. but yeah, just, uh, I don't know. The I guess, I guess, I don't know. We don't have many messages of encouragement, I feel like. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, I think that might be my biggest job yeah. is to be the encourager in chief. Well, you are. Anything I've worked with you in, that's absolutely true. <laughs> You've taken that I on feel brilliantly. Like 99% of the battle is just you know, feeling like you can do it and that you're worthy of doing it. Yeah. And then we'll figure it out from there. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wonderful things happen. Yeah. Just, just, it's a bad sneaker ad. Just do it. <laughs> and did you have people, did you have people in your life that really encouraged you, that really mentored you in these things? I did. I had a theater teacher when I was in seventh grade um, who uh, wrote a part for me. Oh. And, um, because his daughter, um, he, he, in order to get his daughter to go to this little Quaker school, he taught a class so that, uh, he did actually exactly what I did with my kids at Eagle Brook is uh, he traded his skill set for tuition uh -huh. and his skill set was being a, a playwright and a director. And so he did, he created a little play for our seventh grade class and, um, and that was it. I was like, I can do this. <laughs> and um, and so he was very, very special to me. Um, and I, yeah, he, I think he's the one that his name is Richard Sewell and he, uh, lives in Maine. He runs a theater company or did, he's probably retired now called theater at Monmouth. Oh. And, uh, he's, he's the one who really got me started on it. Um, and think just thinking because he never questioned this was the thing that I loved about this man. He lived in a kind of um, Shakespearean dream world, and the idea of doubt was just would never enter your mind. Mm -hmm. And so I observed him very carefully, and and he treated us with absolute respect and honor as creators, as artists. And I just I'll never forget that he probably was the most important teacher I ever had. Oh, that's beautiful. And sounds great. And um, did you find it hard? This is one thing I did want to just sort of as a as a check in. So when your when your boys were younger, when they were you know really around and small and like demanded a lot of care, and was this all hard to juggle? Did you have to put stuff on the back? Really corner, hard. Back I will say that I had a yeah I had a major crease to occur um, moving out of New York City and having a baby. Mm -hmm. So, so if I sound like I'm all cheerful now, there were many years where I was trying to figure out how to, how to be a human being and a creative human being and a good mother. And none of that seemed really possible, but, um, I kind of gave my own self a kick in the ass when Matthew was a tiny baby and decided that I would try to figure out a thing that I could make during nap time. And he was also a shitty napper too, which was. <laughs> Sometimes it was like a half an hour, you know, and or 20 minutes. And so what I decided to do was to do a one woman show and I would just work on it until it was done. 
and um and and and, but one that was written uh that was sort of where my head was at and so what i chose because of this new place that we had moved to um near amherst massachusetts uh was the bell of amherst which is one of those william loose one woman shows that was about emily dickinson and so i would memorize lines while matthew was sleeping and something like four or five months later i had the show down and I um, did it at Memorial Hall Museum in their little music room, and people really liked it. And I was like, oh, I thought I was just going to do this one thing. But so then I would get a babysitter, and I would go to the various schools and various senior centers, and I performed the Bell of Amherst. I don't even remember how many times. Wow. Like 20 so, or so. So you just got yourself a space, uh, put some tickets out there, and put it on? Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, put my ass out there. And um And, you know, I didn't realize that it would be something that people would, I I did it for myself to start with, but then it turned out to be a thing that um, people enjoyed. So I did it again and again and again and again. And that gave me, I think that actually was a really good basis because I, I was in such despair about never being able to create again and wanting to be a very good mom. Like that was the other thing is I I kind of could see that if I could figure out a way to get a ton of time to myself, I would be able to do things, but I didn't want to be that mother. I wanted to be, you know, a real mom, a hands-on mom who really raised her children. So it was just like, what's the, where's the catches catch can way to make something. And this really, and since I was able to pull it off, uh, it really gave me encouragement to be like, ah, if I can do that, mm. what else could I do? Yeah. And just made it seem more possible. So that was my first step. And that that gave that sort of led me out of despair. You know, let me see like, oh, okay. I just, I spent, you know, 27 minutes today working on my art and I got two pages down. And I was a good mom to Matthew Patrick McInerney for every other minute of the day other than those 27 mm. minutes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, after they needed play dates and things and got a little bit bigger, I decided not to feel guilty about having babysitters and friends. Oh, right, right. Uh, they loved it, you know, so that was easier. Um, and then, and as you know, Janet, it's sort of the sequential thing. It's like you start out and you only have three minutes of sleep and then you have 27 minutes of a nap. And so you get bit by bit by bit more and more and more. And as you get more and more time to create, you also get wildly efficient because um, and and so you're able to create in a much more compact piece of time. That's why I think that mothers are some of the greatest creators out there because they've been able to figure out how to make a thing in 27 minutes, Mm. Mm. you know, while cooking dinner. And um, how hard is it for you to, like, get out of your own way? Like, I was thinking about that with the idea of, you know, I'm often very efficient while I'm avoiding doing, you know, sometimes I'm avoiding doing creative things. And sometimes I do other creative things to avoid doing the creative thing that I'm, (laughs) you know, probably afraid of failure on. But (laughs) You know, the key to that one for me has been to just love myself through myself. Um, I know that's going to, if anybody listens to this, I may, you know, get squirt gun aimed right at me right now. But I really do believe it is that if we can treat ourselves with the same respect and care and love that we treat every other human being we meet, even on the street, then we will do so well. And so what I do when I do some dorky thing or I 
you know, put something off. I talk, I have a conversation with myself, sometimes right out loud and say, you know, Linda, here you are. You have made the decision to clean all the bathrooms instead <laughs> That's of exactly right. Facing, right. Are you, are you yeah. with me? So made the decision to clean all of your bathrooms instead of writing this hard scene or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. it is, whatever this thing is. But then the, the, the thing that helps me is that I say, and you know what, Linda, that's what you need to do right now in order to lay fallow and let, let it sift and let yourself figure it out. So aren't you good to go clean your bathrooms (laughs) rather than Linda, you are such an asshole. You can't even (laughs) sit down the paper. You always do this. You always put this, you know, that, that unkind talk that we do to ourselves just and by the way, I'm I'm kind of lying if I say that I do it all the time. But I'm pretty. I'm up to about seventy four point three percent where I can be kind to myself and say this is apparently what you need to do before you do that. And then once you've entered into that conversation, if the two of you or, or the two slash one of you are getting along, then you kind of get to back and say, you know, well, what do you say, Linda? After after the bathrooms, do you think you could at least take an hour? with the computer or an hour with the improvisation or an hour with, you know, listening to the music to make it work with the, whatever it is and figure out the costumes. Could you do that? And then usually we're getting along so well by that point. <laughs> We've been so nice to each other that we just do that. And the bathrooms are clean. And <laughs> oh, I love that. We've taken a little moment to, uh, you know, to, to create something too. <laughs> so I really think that the kindness to self, it's a really, really big one because uh, when I think about how much time I wasted criticizing myself, right. I mean, that's the time waster. Right. I mean, at least when you're putting it off and cleaning your bathrooms, your bathrooms are sparkling. <laughs> but when you're just giving yourself shit, that's just more shit. You're berating that's... yourself all that time. Yeah. Oh, you're an asshole. No, you're an asshole. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> Takes one to know one. Oh, now I'm confused, and now I'm in a now I'm in a an infinity mirror of hell. Ah, you know. <laughs> oh well, this has really been this has really been lovely. Do you wanna? I mean, it's funny. I was thinking to myself, oh, I should think about key takeaways, and then I just stopped writing down stuff because it was more fun to listen. Um, and I suppose anyone that wanted a key takeaway could just listen to it again. Hmm. But. Um, this was fun. A sweet conversation, Janet. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you, Linda. I wish you all the very best on your new podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think people are going to love to hear what your questions are and what your thoughts are and what you're working on. Oh, thank you. That's it for this week's 9 to Thrive podcast. Be sure to visit working9tothrive.com, that's with the number 9, to access show notes, find resources, and join the conversation. Thanks for listening.